And by the way, let me say that as we finish May, you will notice that some of our habits around here will be changing. We will be less socially distant here in the auditorium and begin to uh, give everybody freedom to do what's comfortable. There will still be sectors of the auditorium where we can be seated from distance, uh, but we will begin to relax a measure as we come to the one-year point of uh, this whole matter and are trending to better infection levels. So watch for that with me. But COVID-19 has brought a lot of stuff, including a lot of disagreement about what ought to be. We live in a cultural moment in the United States. It's full of division. Yeah, Eric, I'll tell you what. They're all divided out there. No, I'm, I'm not. That's true. We live in a polar age of opposites. But COVID-19 is such a mess that it has wreaked havoc on everything, including unity in churches. The open secret is that it is pitted church member against church member. There's rancor, division, and disagreement, and it's at church over some of these issues. They define how many are relating within God's family. I have read and listened to some amazing stuff the last 16 months. The hidden secret is that many pastors are exhausted and are leaving ministry. Several churches have been split apart by whatever has gone on in this COVID-19 moment. It's the perfect storm, COVID-19 and a pandemic. I don't know a one of us that was around for 1919 and the Spanish flu. You have the presidential election thrown in there. You have polar cultural division. You have the internet and 24-hour cycles of cable news. You have social media. You have Facebook and Twitter. And, of course, everything's true there. And um, you have great information and access to disinformation. You throw in extraordinary racial tensions. You throw in discussions about masks and vaccines and fear. By the way, the latest on the vaccines, of course, is uh, those who are identifying as having been vaccinated. And, um, I mean, what part of the progressive community could take umbrage with that? Um, they are representing as vaccinated. Um, I'm not making any political, this is a tender message. I'm not making any political statement about anything. I'm talking to you about unity in the body of Christ, which I'm deeply concerned about. You see, you have these news cycles, MSNBC versus Fox, everything is amped up. And you also have, in a greatly secular age, a naked public square where the ultimate thing, our creator and our relatedness to him, which used to sit more gently over a culture governed in Judeo-Christian mores, that space once inhabited by the living God for the ultimate thing in knowing him is now empty. 
in a radically secular age, there's nothing there. But we all were made, we're, we were created to worship ultimate things. And so rushing into that void left when we've taken the living God out, our creator, is politics. Politics is now ultimate in some people's mind because there's no other ultimate pursuit. It's amazing. It's amazing what's going on. Professor Jamie Ayton teaches at Wheaton College. He teaches uh, and is the head of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute, a think tank at Wheaton. Uh, he got a vaccine and he tweeted about it and immediately received a death threat. Uh, the New York Times called him, not about the death threat, but about being a white evangelical at Wheaton College, the head of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute, and asked him to comment on uh, their perception that the white evangelical community is anti-vax. Again, this message is about unity. It's not about vaccine. And so he made a comment in the New York Times. After he made the comment, he gets several more strident death threats uh, against him for saying what he said. Then you have the big steel, of course, and everybody's opinion on the big steel. Uh, I've been told that Sidney Powell, a lawyer for uh, former President Trump, uh, is a fine, upstanding Christian woman. I love lawyers. I love her bravado at the uh, you know, press conferences. I mean, I think that Kraken stuff's fascinating. When Dominion Voting System sued her for $2 billion for defamation. Now, I haven't read the brief. I've read about the brief. But uh, her response in a motion filed for a summary judgment to have the case dismissed was this. Essentially, she said this. Look, that was political rhetoric. Everybody knew it wasn't true. I was just saying it. It's a part of the nature of political rhetoric. Now, wrap your mind around that. I mean, whatever you think of the big steel, and, and um, I'm just saying that there's been disagreement, many disagreements. Rudy Giuliani was asked by a federal judge when he was litigating the Pennsylvania case, Mr. Giuliani, are you alleging fraud in this election? To which he replied, no. He's making an argument about whether Pennsylvania was faithful to their laws and, and, and that. But people have taken such strident positions. Now, maybe more evidence will come out and, and everybody's banking on, you know, the persons from Florida, from a unit nobody heard of who's, you know, in Maricopa County going to dig everything out and going to show the world. Well, if it's there, we'll see it. it the, the truth will emerge. Uh, I... I it doesn't matter my position, but I'm just, this issue has been divisive. And the people have looked at each other and said, hey, where are you, man? What, you're one of them. You know, where, wherever the them is, us and them. I, I'm with Bill Barr, and I think his security level would have given him a chance to see things I can't. Uh, I've not seen evidence of fraud on a scale that would overturn the election. Uh, but maybe it's out there, and if it comes out, I'd, I'd be persuaded. 
masks, shaking hands, vaccine, the big steal. These all are tests of fellowship. And by the way, I love our country. I'm deeply concerned for America. And let's face it, our republic is coming apart. Peter, in the B-I-B-L-E, wrote these words. While they were being persecuted by Rome and on the run, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. I had a humble congregant write me. It was a part of why I identified this as one of the seven questions to face that COVID's asking us. I don't know what to do, Eric. I love this person. They're lobbying for stuff at church. They're sending me emails. I don't want to be rude and not respond. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to be, I don't know what to do. I don't, I, I, I don't know how to respond. Now, here's the question. The macro question, how important is unity when divergent opinions abound? You could also restate it as, are we called by God to rip the church apart and sector often tribes in this moment? Now, let's lay a biblical foundation. And again, this morning, we're not going verse by verse. We're topically lifting the truth of God out of his word. Let's lay a biblical foundation to answer the question. Let's answer the question. Then let's give three charges for how we should then live. First, let's lay a biblical foundation. God hates discord among his people. Come with me to Proverbs 6. This is familiar to you. You'll say, yeah, I've heard of those before. I know God hates those. Let's read them because I think we may have forgotten the last one. There are six things that the Lord hates, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathed out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Now, hate's a strong term. And we put juxtaposed right next to hate, the subject, God. God hates this. And you say, pride, yeah, God hates pride. Lying, yeah, God hates lying. Murder, yeah, God hates murder. Evil, yeah. Those are all predictable, usual suspects. But the last of the seven is a bit arresting. Sowers of discord, that's strife or contention. God hates that. No, God hates that. What God hates should matter to us. Is contention among God's people, big or small, as a deal with God? What do you think? Don't we want to run as far away as we can from what God hates? God hates discord among the brethren. Secondly, we are zealously to work to maintain peace with each other. We are zealously to work to maintain peace with each other. Come with me to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Many of you might have even memorized this verse, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This unity that the Spirit of God has brought about for us. We are to be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 2 Timothy 2.15, he uses this word eager, and it's translated, do your best to. 2 Peter 1.10, Peter uses the term, be all the more diligent. What are we to do our best to do? What are we to be all the more diligent? What are we to be eager to do? Here it is, maintain, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Mazda just sent me a postcard, dear Eric. We love you. Secondly, please get your car in here. You, need, you are scheduled for routine maintenance. You've stumbled upon that time. They're making the argument, and it's actually Paul's argument here, that the optimal function of the engine requires routine maintenance. You know what? Paul makes the same argument about unity. Maintain this. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. Come to Philippians chapter 4, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. Just a couple books over. We read it this morning. Jay read it. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche. I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true comrade, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Please note, mature followers of Jesus involved in the work at odds with each other. Disunity. So important to him that Paul would say, no, that's too important to let go. By the way, forever called out. Don't you like to be Yodia's son or daughter? Hey, who's your grandma? Syntyche. Syntyche, I remember her. She was that lady who was in a big cat fight in um, Philippi. Well, that's awful. By the way, I was in a discussion this week. And uh, the person just interjected into the discussion an editorial, one-sentence editorial about a person. We weren't even talking about the person. But they said, oh, so-and-so, he's been mad for years. There's a proverb, a Jewish proverb that says, even a child is known by his doings. We all establish a well-groomed reputation. Yodia and Syntyche have one here. And it's not one that we want to wear around. 2 Peter 3.14. Peter says this in his final words. But according to his promise, we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, Peter, what do we do while we're waiting? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Yeah, Eric, I'll tell you what. We need holiness. We need to pursue holiness without spot or blemish. That's what we do. We're diligent to do that. We're, 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 we're diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. What about the last three words? And... At peace. Those two things go together. Without spot or blemish and with peace with others. And at peace. Can we put that as a epitaph next to your relatedness to others right now? And at peace. Now, I'm going to ask you a question in a moment, but before I do, I want to say this. If a person doesn't want to be reconciled to you, though your heart is completely right with God and you are humble and you are seeking the Lord in righteousness and seeking through forgiveness and grace to pour on this relationship a new future, if that person doesn't want to be reconciled to you, no matter what you do that's honoring to the Lord, that the Lord will recognize on the great day when you stand before him, you can't unilaterally heal a relationship. So I'm not talking about that, but if there was a blank piece of paper 
in the bulletin this morning, and I'd say, take it out right now. And in the next 30 seconds, can you write down three people's names that you know you are not at peace with? If you say, three, is that all you got, Mounts? You know, hey, give me a little more time. You know, and put more names. You know, I mean, wh where are we? Where are we? You know what? Peter says, be diligent while we wait for the new heavens and the new earth to be at peace. How's the peace going? Everything needs routine maintenance, including unity at church. Third foundation stone, working for peace and unity is a part of gospel life. Think of the Beatitudes. We know this. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Our middle son, Ben, just had a baby about seven weeks ago. Samuel. I saw him Friday night. He smiled at me. I think my life was elongated about 18 months. He looks exactly like his dad. Exactly. I mean, so much so that pe people just start laughing when they see him because they remember when Ben was a baby, it, is, it could be said very accurately of Ben. He reproduced after his own kind. And so they don't call him Samuel. They call him little Ben. Somebody will say, oh, that, that's little Ben. Because he looked, and we got some pictures out this week. It, it, it's striking, the resemblance. Now, here's what Jesus says. If you know the Lord and you're a child of God, you'll be like him. You know what he's like? He's a peacemaker. He's a peacemaker. We are memorizing now a, a small group of us in Scripture Memory Boot Camp. We're memorizing Colossians 1, 15 to 20. You get the verse 20. Through him, speaking of Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, God is a peacemaker. And sons of God and daughters of God are peacemakers. We're just a chip off the old block. Uh, just as Ben has made little Ben, God makes little peacemakers is that true of us? Is that who we really are? Think of Philippians 2, 2, chapter 2 and verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition. You say, Eric, how do you make peace? How about this? Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's what work for peace looks like. Jay read Psalm 133.1, how sweet, how sweet, sweet, how sweet it is when brothers dwell together in unity. There's no sweetness like the sweetness of a church unified together. Now, what shall we pursue? The Apostle Paul said in Romans 14, 19, pursue the things that make for peace. Is that us? That's what we're called to. Well, then, Let's answer the question. We've laid the foundation. How important is unity when divergent opinions abound? Answer, unity is very important and cannot be overstated. Full stop. That's the answer. The question before us this morning is, do we live like that's the answer? How high on your list of priorities is unity in the body? What do you love more, your opinion about whatever or unity in the body. 
Secondly, unity is to characterize God's people because it's characteristic of God. The great Shama, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One of the glories of the Godhead is unity within diversity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, unified, always, eternally, together. Here's an amazing thought. There has never been a rift or any division in the Godhead. Always and ever unity. Jesus prays in John 17 on the night of his arrest. Lord, make my followers one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. You know what God-like churches are like? They're unified churches. They're for each other, on the same page. Remember, be imitators of God, as Ephesians 5.1. If we're going to imitate him, what's he like, Eric? He's unified. There's not an argument in the Godhead about anything, nor has there ever been. There's unity. Well, how should we live then? Now, the irony of point one and point two is you can say, yeah, that's right, point one's right. Those foundation stones are good. Ah, point two, yeah, that's right. And yet you can be a catalyst for disunity. Isn't that amazing? So three charges. Charge number one, we recognize that uniformity of opinion is not the same as unity. Unity is possible when we don't have the same conviction on everything. Now, I have a caveat. Obviously, there has to be a commitment to the fundamentals of the faith. The meaning of the gospel. The truth of God revealed in the scripture. That's a given. We embrace that. And we have to be unified around the meaning of the gospel. But there are a lot of other issues. Apart from the fundamentals of the faith. That we can see differently and yet still have unity together. Because uniformity of opinion is not the same as unity. Newsflash. There are differences of opinion on COVID-19 at Calvary Baptist Church. Open secret. There are different views of masks and vaccinations. Here. Secondly. We acknowledge that a big view of Jesus Christ gives room enough for common ground to stay together. Think of 1 John 1, 3. Our fellowship is in Christ. Our fellowship is in agreement over everything COVID-19. Our fellowship is in agreement with everything we ought to do and every little habit we should have at Calvary Baptist Church during the pandemic. Our fellowship, no, our fellowship is in Christ. And if he is big enough and dominant enough and the central fulcrum around which everything is orbiting, we'll be fine. Is he? Or are we wandering around some other pole other than him? Who is the dominant personality brooding over our fellowship? Is it Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity? Or is it Jesus Christ, our Lord? Is it Joe Scarborough? Or is it our risen Lord? Who are we promoting? 
Who are we exalting? Who are we working to magnify? Why are we here? What is important? What's going to last forever? Are we to be a social justice arm of the Democratic Party? Are we to be a super PAC for Republicans? Are we to be made up of devoted followers of Jesus Christ, being salt and light and being found seeking first the kingdom of God? Now, obviously, that will bring us to concern and prayer for this moment, but not fights over masks, vaccinations, and distancing, and politics. Don't you think 100 years from now, we will look back and find that a waste of time? Finally, we exercise courageous discernment and gently address specific behaviors that are disturbing the peace. Let's take one behavior. And I'm not arguing this is a big problem, but I want to use this as an illustration about how you face disturbances of the peace. Gossip disturbs the peace. Again, I'm not making an argument. We have a terrible problem with gossip. But you know what kills gossip? If somebody starts into some yarn, the courageous saint will say, you know, dear one, gossip is sharing information with a person who's not a part of the solution. I have no part at all in that matter. So I don't think I ought to be listening to what you're saying. That immediately has a deleterious effect upon gossip. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> that person will resist sharing that with you. You know how divisive that stuff is? Are we asking before we are posting, emailing, tweeting, Facebooking, Snapchatting, are we asking the question, does this help unity? Are we cons what do we consider before we press enter? Post quotes, republish articles. Are they things that make for peace? The humble, gentle, and lowly, the Jesus-like, go around spreading peace and grace on everything. I was 20 years serving at a church in Springfield, Ohio, and the church from its inception for many years had had this habit, as soon as the communion was over, they would sing that old hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And we had done it for, you know, first 25 years of the church's history. And I was there for part of that, got into the habit. Well, along the way, we had a uh, sweet lady. This Satan loves to destroy sweet ladies and young men. And he had run after her, and she was somewhat complicit and wandered away from us, and we all chased her and loved her and poured grace on it and did everything we could to help her. We s stayed in good contact with her. But she left our fellowship. And she came back one Sunday. We're having the Lord's table. And uh, we concluded that Sunday. We didn't sing that song. We didn't sing, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And uh, it made her mad. I mean, it's, it's interesting how people respond to stuff. And she came up and she let me have it for not, you know, we didn't sing that song. But I actually appreciated the rebuke. Because for her as a little girl, as she grew up, she would listen to the congregation sing and say, this group of people believes the gospel. This group of people believes the gospel matters. And this group of people believes the gospel matters and how we relate, and they're fighting to stay on the same page. And it's very sweet to me, even as a girl growing up. 
And so at, coming back years later, she, she has that response. And she's right. That song is a wonderful reminder. We shall sing it before we leave, after we pray. There is a tie that binds us up forever and ever if we know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we need to allow that bind to overshadow every other thing that we want to accent that would divide this wonderful family at this good place. Let's pray. Father, I want to tap into uh, the ethos of the Godhead this morning and just pour it all over everything. It's unity. It's mutual deference. It's affection. It's for each other. It's beside each other. It's glory. And we want it here. Because we really believe, Lord, that a watching world in tragic turmoil has the opportunity to see the glory of the gospel in the way the church relates to each other and to the world. And it's easy to preach ideals. Lord, we need your help. We have sinful hearts and we're selfish and we get convictions. And in the meantime, we're really concerned about our country and believe the whole thing's gone off a cliff. And we love our children and grandchildren and wondering where it's going. Hear our prayer push back against the onslaught. In the meantime, Lord, help us seek first the kingdom of God. Give ourselves to you and experience your mercy and grace. So help us this morning, Lord. We love you. Work in our midst. Speak to hearts. What are you saying to us today? What changes are you inviting us to today? Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.